Several are out today, but I'm glad you're here. And uh, your grace finds me in whatever season. And that song kind of goes through the, the wedding, the graveside, the daily. One of the things that often we do not realize is life is, is so full of transition. Moving from one season into another season. Sometimes we're in, we're in the midst of it, we don't realize it. But then we look back and we can see clearly that there was a page being turned by an unseen hand. A lot of times it's times of great, great difficulty that we walk through that may seem like it goes on forever. It's a comfort to know that it will not last forever. There'll be another season. There'll be another time. Ecclesiastes tells us about that. There's times and there's seasons. Seasons in our marriages. There's seasons in our family relationships. One of the things about life that is very difficult for us to grasp, and in fact we can't, and that's why we've sung this morning about grace. It is so important. We need God's grace for each of these times. It's everything and everyone in this life we will have to say goodbye to at some point. Have you thought about that? There's not a thing in our lives, not a, a job or a house or material possession of any kind. There's not a loved one, a family member. There's nothing in this life that at some point we will not have to say goodbye to. Either they will leave or we will leave. But we'll have to say goodbye. And many of you painfully aware of that. Whether it's relationships, whether it's health, sometimes we have to say goodbye to. But that's one of the things that every time we do that, we ought to be reminded of God's grace at that moment that He's going to give us. He's going to be so near to us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. And I'm sorry this is upsetting Evan. You know that I'm talking about this. And it is upsetting, and we need God's grace. But we also ought to be encouraged that it reminds us that it's one of the greatest differences between this life and what God has in store for us. Because there is nothing or no one in heaven that we'll ever have to say goodbye to. No more goodbyes. None. We say goodbye to goodbyes forever. God's grace will just rain down forever in eternity. We experience that on a measured basis, a temporary basis, but nonetheless, a much needed constantly, oh, we need God's grace. Because life is constantly changing, transitioning, saying goodbye to this, goodbye to that, going into a new season. I think the same is for churches. And I think that even though we may not realize it now, I think we'll look back and we'll see this time as a time of definite transition and change where God, His unseen, sovereign, merciful, gracious hand was turning a page for us. It's hard to see sometimes when we're in that moment. But then when we look back, Kim and I talked about this this morning and in our life, in our marriage, in the seasons of our life, now that 
we're a little farther down the road, we can definitely see where God turned the page and there were different seasons that were marked and, and definite and, and we didn't realize it at some time. Sometimes we did, but most of the time we didn't. But we look back and, and there were seasons. There were times that were in God's hand. He was doing a specific work, but then He moved us in a different time, a different season. I think that's the same for all of us. We looked last week trying to see where God would have us to, to be as we enter into a time of transition that God's people moving from the wilderness and crossing the Jordan and they were about to enter into the land of God's promise and we looked at a few things relating to that and tried to apply them to our own lives, our own uh, circumstances, that whatever we find ourselves in. And this week we'll kind of continue that before we get back to our study in First Peter. And I want you to turn to Romans chapter 12. And then you can find Colossians chapter 1. We're going to look at two passages this morning. first one in Romans 12 and the second one in Colossians 1. Very familiar passage, especially the first two verses of Romans 12. We're going to see four components from this passage of our service to God, of our surrendered life to God. What God requires of us as we enter into these different stages and transitions, and and as believers we desire to bring Him glory, we desire to honor Him, not knowing that every individual day that we seek to live for Him, each day goes into another day, which goes into a next, which turns into a season of life. And in each of these seasons of life, our desire ought to be to honor Him and to glorify Him and to live for Him that we can look back and we say, thank you God for what you did. Even if it's a time of sorrow, a time of weeping as we sang about, that even in that we honor Him because His grace finds us just rains down upon us. And it is so amazing. Verse 1, Paul is saying to the Roman believers, therefore, that means you need to go back and look in chapter 11 at what preceded. I'm going to let you do that on your own. Therefore, because of what I've told you just prior to now, I urge you, I beg you, It is of the utmost importance that you listen very carefully at what I'm about to say. Paul is saying, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Each of us are worshipers as believers. What is acceptable to God as we are called and saved to worship Him? Verse 2, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove, so that you may understand, so that you might affirm, so that you might know beyond any shadow of a doubt what the will of God is. That which is good and acceptable and perfect. What is best for you? God's will. How do you know that? It's the most important thing you can know as a believer. If you don't don't know 
then you need to put everything else on hold and say, God, I need to know what your perfect and acceptable, what your good, beneficent will is for me, for my life, for my family, because I want to honor you. For through the grace, we've sung about this morning, for through the grace given to me, Paul says, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. But to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Hmm, that's interesting. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many, we're distinct, are one body in Christ. And individually members of one another. As God has sovereignly placed us together. Since, or therefore, or because we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. If service, in his serving. Or he who teaches, in his teaching. Or he who exhorts, in his exhortation. He who gives, with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now, Lord, we've read your word together. Lord, we ask that you give us an understanding of what we just read. And not only an understanding, but Lord, a specific grace for this timing in which we read this passage. Help us not only to understand, help us not only to hear and, Lord, perhaps be moved by the timing, but, Lord, help us to surrender and obey to your perfect, acceptable, and good, best will for each of us and then for us as a body. Lord, we, we yield to you even when we don't understand. We yield to you even when our sorrow is overwhelming. We trust you and we thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Now these four components I think are fairly clear in this passage that I want to highlight and underscore in the next couple of moments. First of all, you see this, this section, verses 1 through 8, bookended by mercy. Do you see that? In verse 1. I urge you by the mercies of God. And then verse 8, He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. It is a privilege to serve God. He allows us to do so because He is merciful. Because He showed His mercy at the cross. Because He forgave us of our sins, our transgressions. Paid the penalty for our wickedness, our iniquity, our rebellion. He called us to Himself by His mercy. It is not by our own good works. It is not because we're good people, because we're better than some others, because we're this or that in our own mind, in our own thinking, that somehow we're deserving of what God's done. It is totally by His mercy that any of us are saved. Therefore, it's a privilege to serve Him. It's a privilege to live our lives for Him. And all because of His mercy. Let me ask you, what is the alternative 
to serving the living, loving God. What is the alternative to living in the mercy of God? Is there any place you'd rather be than to be in God's mercy? Is there any other way that you would rather live other than living in God's mercy? His mercy endures forever. Amen. We sang about that a couple of these songs. Forever. Forever. Have you thought about this? That right now, even in the difficulty, even in the struggle, even in the heartache, even in the mundane, even in the difficulties that we go through day by day and the challenges that we might face and the struggles that may seem like they last a lifetime that we constantly are, are carrying around. Have you ever stopped to think that the life that you're living in Christ now, if indeed you are in Christ, you are living by the mercy of God that will only increase and then completely cover you forever. Don't live for tomorrow. Don't live for out in the future someplace. Well, if I get to this point, then it'll be good. If I get to this point, then I can do this. If I get to this point, then all of this will be over and this will be great. Don't, don't, I don't know if it's a word, I've heard it. Don't fritter your life away with uh, always thinking about what's out there. Live each moment, each day in the mercy of our God. Grateful for Him. Thankful for Him. The second component that we see is found in verse 3. And it is humility. In serving God in a way that's acceptable to Him, we must continually be reminded of and live in His mercy. But then that ought to cause us to have a heart of humility. Because God has been so good. And he says here, and I love how Paul phrases it as the Holy Spirit is moving him, inspiring him. He says in verse 3, For through the grace given unto me. In other words, I'm reminded of the grace that I've received. And what Paul was saying, I was a sinner deserving of hell. I persecuted believers. I threw believers in prison. I had them assaulted because of their faith in Christ. That was my life. And God just found me on the road to Damascus. I didn't deserve to be saved. There was nothing that I'd ever done that caused me to deserve a relationship with God, but grace found me. And so he says, on that same basis of how God has worked in my life, the grace that He has shown me, I appeal to you. Because He's shown you that same grace as believers. For through the grace given unto me, I say to everyone among you. And Paul's voice to the Romans still speaks to you and I today, this very morning. I appeal to you, to every one of you. The Holy Spirit is saying through Paul and also this morning saying to you. Not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. As God has allotted to each a measure of faith. In other words, it's the same faith for every one of us to be saved. And God has to give us the faith to trust in Him, to believe in Him. It's not of works. It's not of our intellect. You can understand certain mental aspects about the gospel. 
Jesus being born of a virgin, Jesus living a sinless life, Jesus dying on the cross, Jesus being buried, and on the third day rising again, you can believe that He is Lord, creator of heavens and the earth. You can have all of those, all of those mental boxes checked and still not have saving faith. God has to grant us that heart that cries out to Him and says, Lord, forgive me. I've sinned against You. Lord, I need You. Come into my heart. Take control of my life. You can't do that by mental assent. It must be a gift that God gives you to trust in Him and put your faith in Him. But then from that point, each of us grow at different rates. Each of us has different seasons that God sovereignly brings us through, that He gives us different teaching times. We learn different lessons at different times. All of us have different measures of faith in our life. And it ought to bring us to a place of humility that we say, Oh God, You've been guiding me and teaching me and strengthening me and showing me grace all along the way. And what Paul is saying, don't look at what God's doing in somebody else's life. You... You need, you need to concentrate on God work in my life. God, do what you want to do in my heart. God, use me. Don't say, well, I wish I was like this and I wish God would use me in this way or, or I feel kind of inferior. God deals with each of us as special, unique. He created us. No one else like us. And God has a specific, special purpose and task for each of us that no one else can fulfill in His kingdom. Now some of us, we can become a little too humble and think we're a little too inferior to other super saints or believers or we see God doing this or that and it can create kind of a, a false humility that can produce jealousy that then can produce all kinds of things in our heart and life which take us away from the Lord. Listen, He is working in each of us. God has saved you for a specific purpose. And what He's doing in your life is different than what He's doing in my life or in the person sitting beside. But the, but the wonderful thing about it all is when He puts a body together, even though we're all different, as Paul says, we're all one. None of us can understand that, and none of us would be able to orchestrate that on our own, but God's doing that. Always have a higher standard for yourself than you have for others. So many times, as believers, we hold others to a higher standard of expectation of what we believe they ought to be than we hold ourselves to. And Paul said, none of us ought to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. You know that some people in their humility can develop a pride in how humble they are? Well, I'm just, I'm just nothing, you know. I don't know what my gift is or what my purpose is. None of us ought to talk like that. Because it's God by His mercy that has saved us and brought us into His kingdom. And we ought not to have a false humility that is really a form of pride that we're thinking, well, I, I don't know what purpose I serve. And I don't, don't have an overinflated sense of self and ego of, well, I'm better than this person because I do this or because I teach or I sing on the worship team or whatever. None of us ought to have that humility in our lives as believers and in the church and each esteeming other better than themselves is the, 
is the fluid of grace that just allows God to work in an amazing way. You don't see that in a lot of churches. You have people striving and people trying to establish their own little kingdoms. They have their own little ministries over here. They're doing this and this person's doing that. And there's conflict between one another and there's tension between one another. And I'm doing this and you're not doing that. God rid us of any vestige of that kind of God-dishonoring attitudes. And I'm thankful to be a part of a body where that is just... It's rare, and it's at such a minimum. But we need to guard against that happening. And as we enter into this next phase, and as we think about building and doing what we have in our, uh, you know, in in our vision to see what God would do as far as turning that next chapter, we need to be very careful and cautious about anything that would lead us down the road of pride. I was talking with Larry this morning, and we've had no to very minimal impact on the community around us since we've been here. I think God was growing us, and God was doing some things internally. I think we had allowed the Lord to deal with some things that, that was completely in His hands. But we need to have the mindset, this is not about us going and getting comfortable in a place and having a land, having a nicer building and a better place. We need to go with a mindset and a heart of serving. This is not just to go and just kind of, oh, oh, thank you, Lord, we're finally in a place, we're not in that old building and all that. I mean, we need to go in with an attitude of, God, you have planted us here, you've placed and we are here to serve. We're not here for people to come see who we are or people to come notice us. We are here to just make an impact for the glory of God and to serve in any way and in every way that we can. That needs to be our heart. If there's anything other than that, God's not going to honor or bless our efforts, our endeavors. So mercy, humility, and then of course, you can't miss it in verse 2. Commitment. Dedication. A complete surrender of ourselves. A surrender of our tomorrows. A surrender of of all that we have, all that we hope to be. All that we aspire to. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I think that not only means that we need to have... uh, uh, We need to deal with sin in our lives. I think what Paul is saying here is don't be distracted by the world. Make sure your mindset is that you're not going to get your heart and mind off of what is most important to God, not to you. Don't be distracted. Be single focused in your commitment, unswerving in your dedication to the task that God has placed before you. And I think there are probably three or four things in each of our lives that need to be up at top and there are no rivals to those three or four things that are most important in our lives. And I think as a church and as a body, I think that we ought to have just a couple of three things that are more important than anything else and everything else is shaped by those two or three things. And I mean, our our mindset is immovable. It's fixed. Here's what we know God would have us to do, and we are not going to be distracted or dissuaded from that. And it's going to take all of us having that type of mindset. Not just leaders, not just a few. It's going to take all of us if we're going to to honor the Lord together.
Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, have the right mindset. So that you may prove what the will of God is. What does God have for you? What does God have for us out in the future? I can't answer that with any degree of certainty. But I do know this. God does have a plan. He does have a future. He does know what He wants to do in your life, in my life, in our life. God's not uncertain. He's not thinking, now what am I going to do with day spring? Now when they kind of, when they take care of this and they get this, what am I going to do with them then? That's not God's heart. So what you and I need to do is to put ourselves in a position to be so surrendered to Him, so completely committed to whatever God would have us to do, whatever that would require of us, that, that there's nothing that we are not willing to lay down for His sake and say, God, I don't know what You have. I don't know exactly what that will mean to me, what decisions I need to make. But God, I want to know and I want to prove and I want to be certain that I do not miss Your will in this coming season. Because that's what's best. Would you agree that what God wants is what's best? <laughs> it's almost a non sequitur. It's almost, you know, why even mention it? But we need to be reminded of that. God is God. As David Miller said famously, and I am not. God is God and I am not. So God, you know what's best. And if I'm stumbling and wandering around not knowing what's best, not really trying to know what's best, then more than likely I'm not going to get in on what's God's best. I'm going to miss it. I'm going to miss out. And it's not just what you miss or what I miss. It is what those around us that need to know how great God is, what they're going to miss because you're not living out God's best. Sometimes God's best for your life involves great difficulty, struggle, heartache. We don't like that. We push away from it. So when we say commitment, we're saying, God, all that you desire, that's what I surrender to. Not just the good, the great, the exciting, the wonderful, but God, all of it. Remember when Jesus was offering the cup to the disciples before the cross? And he said, this is my blood shed for you. Drink all of it. Didn't have a way of refining the grape juice in that time like we do now. Cleaning it all out. And at the bottom, they would never drink, of course, the last little bit that was in the cup because that contained the dregs. The sediment. But Jesus said, drink all of it. They never did that in the first century. Always left the last drink at the bottom. Jesus said, drink all of it. That includes the drinks. Are we willing to do that? And say, Lord, okay. And then the last in this passage, and we sang about it this morning, as God sovereignly directed Fred and Tambra, as He does always in our worship. Grace. It's all through these eight verses. Look in verse 6 especially. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. That is, only God can do in each of us what is best and right and what He desires to do. We can't do it on our own. 
If we're not right with God, then we're not going to be doing what God would have us to do. And it not only affects us, it affects the body that we're a part of. So really, we're only as strong as the weakest person. Because your life does affect. You say, well, I'm not that important. I don't know how I'm important to the body or what God would have to do. You are so critically important. And God will give you the grace, the ability to do, to be, to surrender that you don't have that ability on your own. That's what grace is. God giving His strength, His ability, the resources that only He can give to accomplish the task that He desires and we don't have that strength. Let me ask you something. Is there anything in your life right now that you know that God would have you to do and you're saying, God, I, I just don't see how I can do that. God, God I... I believe that that would probably be best, but I just don't know if I can do that. Each of us have been at those points before. But we know what God would have us to do. Or we know what God would have us to surrender. Or we know what decision God would have us to make. But we just can't do it. Have you ever struggled with the fact that you struggle? That's just a part of of being human and being in need of His grace and mercy. Amen? But here's what you need to do and here's what I need to do when we're at those points and just say, Lord, I can't juggle this, work this out in my mind and my heart. I can't do it in my own strength. But Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief, I believe that you will give me everything that I need to do everything that you want me to do. Do you believe that? See, that thought strikes at the very heart of the character of God. Is He trustworthy? We say that He is, but then when we have to lay down and surrender do things that we just don't think that we don't know how it's going to work or we're struggling with whether or not we can make this decision or lay this down. It really, it says, God, I'm going to trust you or God, I'm going to hold on to this because I don't know if I can trust you. What does that say about us in what we're saying about God? Grace. Verses 4 through 8, there's grace all through there. Do not expect others to think or serve in an identical way as you do. God has given each of us different ways of service. And by the way, God is going to do whatever He's going to do through each of us being surrendered. It's not just me or someone. It is all of us. We're all different. We all have, we're all at different places in our spiritual maturity. But God knows where we are. It's by His grace and mercy. We're not orchestrating this. It's God that puts us together in this particular time and He's going to give each of us individually the grace that we need to accomplish His good and perfect and acceptable will to live surrendered lives in, in order that He alone might get glory. We can't do that. We don't have the strength or wisdom to do that. But if we'll just say, Lord, I surrender to You. God, I want to be obedient to You. As each of us do that, then together as a body, there is no 
limit to what God will be able to do. You say, but we're small. But we're this. But we're that. But I'm at this point in my life. But I'm at this stage. None of that matters. Is God God? Does God have a determined, foreknown, thought out by His own heart and mind? Does He have a plan and a will and a desire for your life and for our lives? I believe that He does. We'll turn to Colossians really quick, and I'm not going to go through, just going to read the Colossians passage. As you're turning there, Colossians 1, I went through Paul's writings in the New Testament a few weeks ago, months ago maybe now. I wrote down just a few things that stood out to me. Paul's pattern for life and ministry as he served the Lord, as he was surrendered to the Lord. And you say, well, Paul was apostle. Paul wrote most of the New Testament. Paul was the greatest preacher of the gospel, defender of the faith in all of Christendom. Paul, first and foremost, would identify himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. He did over and over again. Do you know what? That's each of us. Servant Jesus. Serve the Lord. I'm His servant. And so I think his pattern is noteworthy for how he lived his life. I just listed seven things that stood out to me, and then we're going to read Colossians 1, beginning in verse 24. First of all, and this is an order of priority, preaching and teaching Christ as God gave opportunity. By the way, did you know that all of us are preachers and teachers as believers? Maybe not in a public way, but all of us are representing Christ to those around us and communicating the character of God, the gospel of grace to others. Preaching and teaching Christ as God gave opportunity. Number two, mentoring and training younger believers. Whether that be our children, grandchildren, whether that be younger believers in the faith, it's over and over again Paul's pattern for ministry and service in his life. And I think that many of these fit all believers, should fit all believers. Third, strengthening churches and church leaders or elders. Now that may not fit in our lives, but that fit with Paul. And I'm trying to look through this and see how, what fits in my life. Fourth, engaging the culture. Those who are hostile to Christianity uses as a platform for the gospel. And we're constantly engaging the culture around us and maybe your own family members who are hostile to Christ. It, it is a ministry that God gives all of us whether we recognize it or not. And then fifthly, when travel was not permitted, he rode extensively. That may not apply to all of us, but when Paul was always trying to communicate the gospel, when he was in chains, he still was communicating the gospel. In other words, when it's in season and out of season, Paul was faithful to serve God. Some of you say, I'm older now. Some of you say, well, I'm sick. Some of you say, I'm just I'm not able to serve the Lord like I would really like to. Don't let that hinder you. If, if you're still alive by God's grace, then serve the Lord in any way that you can at every season of life. That's what Paul did. Sixth, he stayed where God directed. He moved as God directed. He just said, God, I'm yours. If that meant living in place to place to place only a few months at a time, that's what he did. He was a transient for, the, for Christ's sake. That's all right. My life is not my own, Paul said. Are, are you surrendered to the Lord? If, if the Lord said, I want you to live a transient life, 
Would you be willing to do that? Paul did. If the Lord said, I want you to take your precious family and I want you to move to the most hostile place on earth to share me with others who do not know me, would we be willing to do that? God doesn't require every one of us to do that. He may not require any of us to do that in this body, but would we be willing to do that? Other believers lost their lives this week for the sake of the gospel and for the name of Christ. Heard of a 17-year-old boy in Afghanistan who was a believer and he would not recant his faith and bow to Islam and they set him on fire and killed him, 17 years old. He shakes the mountains. You've heard about Nepal, the greatest mountain range on earth. Many believers probably lost their lives, but many, many more went out into eternity without Christ in a very difficult region. Was somebody disobedient not to go there and share the gospel? I don't know. Our heart needs to be, God, I'm surrendered to you. I don't even know what that means. I just want to be surrendered to you. Staying where God directed, moved as God directed. And then seven, when it comes to secular matters, worked as needed. That's what Paul did. That's just things that I saw him play. He, he, he worked as he, he was a tent maker. He, he, he worked. He didn't want to be a burden to the church. So he, he provided for himself. He said, it's not my desire to burden you as a church. I know where you are. And so, so he just worked and, and provided for his own necessities with his own hands. That's a pattern for Paul's life and ministry. I think it's a good pattern for my life. I think that's a good pattern for your life, don't you? Colossians 1.24 Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I do my share. <laughs> this is the New American Standard, but I like the way it reads there. I do my share. I would say, Paul, you did your share. Now the only question that remains, am I going to do my share? Which is your reasonable service. Present your body a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is the least you can. It's your reasonable, acceptable worship to God. I do my share on behalf of His body. He said, I do what I do for you. Which is the church in filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. In other words, Paul's saying, if I suffer, I'm suffering for Christ. Don't feel sorry for me. I'm doing what I'm doing for Christ's sake and for the church's sake. I live for others, not for myself. Verse 25 of this church, I was made minister according to the stewardship from God. God gave me the oversight and management and stewardship of ministering to you, leading you. From God bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God. That is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been made manifest to His saints. To whom God will to make known what is the riches of the glory of His majesty among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now look at verses 28 and 29. And we close. We proclaim Him. Him we proclaim, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we might present every man complete in Christ, mature in Christ. For this purpose also I labor. I give all of my energy to, Paul is saying. Striving according to His power. I give all of my energy, but it's not my energy that will do the, do the work. It is ultimately trusting in His grace, His energy.
striving according to his power, which mightily works within me.